Welcome back to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host Kevin Hopkins. This is episode 212. So we've had a week or so off. I didn't uh, generate a podcast for about almost two weeks because I had a respiratory infection and a bad cough and couldn't make it through a 20-minute podcast without sounding like I was dying. But I'm back now. The temperatures here are icebox cold, but I feel much better. So thank you for your patience. Thank you for tuning in. Um, the interesting thing to me is even though I haven't generated a podcast in nearly two weeks, uh, still almost 200 people each day on the average log in and listen to one episode or another. And I'm just overwhelmed by that. So. Thank you for your faithfulness and for your patronage and your support. Uh, It makes it worth doing these podcasts. So episode 212, we start today in Romans chapter 10. And chapter 9, chapter 10, part of chapter 11, Paul continues to talk about the place of Jews in God's kingdom and his his burden for his fellow Jews and what he sees as the outcome, uh, the place for Jews in God's kingdom. And so as Christians, New Testament Christians, it's really important that we focus on what Paul has to say here about Judaism and about our Jewish brothers and sisters who honestly believe in the same God in which we believe, right? It's the same God. Now, with or without Christ, to Paul, is a lesser problem than with or without faith. He sees the problem with Judaism in that they believe they can work their way into God's good favor. They believe they can work their way into heaven. And They don't understand mercy, grace, redemption, forgiveness, and all that the cross has has created, has accomplished in our reality. And so that's what he's really after. But here in chapter 10, he starts, I'll just start in verse 1. I'm not going to go very far. Uh, I just want to take a thought here and kind of stop when I get one thought. We buzz through chapter 9. And you've sent me a lot of questions about chapter 9. Probably should not have gone through it quite so quickly, but it's all one thought. And so it's hard to break it up. In 10, Paul has a few thoughts. Here's the first one. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. We're going to stop right there. I know it's just four verses, but they're really important verses, because there are a lot of instances in which you could have started this 
this chapter with these words. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for the Christians, those who call themselves Christians today in America, that they might actually be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. You see, this four-verse passage is about those who believe it is their works that get them into God's good favor. It is their works that get them to heaven. It is their works that give them station and place with God. And and Paul wants to remind them and us that it is not about works. It is about the righteousness that Christ has purchased for you on the cross. But the key issue for Paul is in verse I can testify about them, talking about the Jews, I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Wait a minute. The Jews know the Old Testament better than we do. Most of them had and still have huge chunks of it totally memorized. I mean, if there was anybody who knew something about the Bible... It would be Jews. If there was if there was a group of people who know the scripture, it would be them. And today, in the 21st century, there are zealous Christians who know a lot of scripture. They know a lot about what the Bible says. My son and I went to a professional basketball game a few weeks ago. And out on the street corner, outside the arena with a megaphone, was a guy preaching at the passers-by and calling them into the kingdom. And he was quoting a lot of scripture. Now, my son knows God, knows Jesus Christ, but he's young and he's part of this generation that does not suffer people who try to impose their beliefs on others. And the guy's preaching over the megaphone. He's quoting a bunch of scripture. And and my son just shakes his head as we cross the street and says, dude, that's not the way to attract people to the kingdom. And now, my son doesn't go to church much and, and doesn't have a lot of use for the, the institution of church. So his comment took me a bit by surprise. Dude, that's not the way to attract people to the kingdom. For all the things that I question about my kids, comments like that tell me in their heart, they get it. That it's possible in Paul's culture and in our culture to be very zealous for God, for the corporate structure of the church, for your understanding of what a church is for the scripture. It's very possible to be zealous for those things and not know Christ. Do you hear me? 
Many will come to me. These are the words of Jesus. Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, did we not do many miracles in your name? Did we not perform signs and wonders? And I will say to them, go away. I never knew you. The question isn't what you know about Jesus. The question isn't what you know about God. The question isn't what you know about Scripture or how much Scripture you know. The question is, do you know Him? Paul says to another church, I want to know Christ. The pain and the misery of His suffering, the glory and the and the wonder of his resurrection. I consider all things, he says in another place, I consider all things absolute garbage. The the Greek word is really stark there. I consider all things a pile of poop when compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing him, talking about Christ. And here he's saying the same things to the Romans and to the church in Rome, which was uh, basically made up of people who'd been Jews before. He says, look, guys, my Israelite friends, my Jewish friends are very zealous and they know all kinds of things about God and about the scripture, but they lack knowledge. Their zeal is based in something selfish. Their zeal is based in growing their number or including people in their club or getting people to practice the faith the way they do it. Sound familiar? I mean, just look around. How many churches are there in our culture who want you to do it the way they do it? I've even attended churches where you weren't welcome to receive the elements of of the Eucharist. You couldn't have the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, what we call communion. You couldn't share it with them if you hadn't been baptized in their water. Now, it didn't matter if you'd been baptized somewhere. That's not good enough. If you weren't baptized by their method in their water, what they were saying is your baptism doesn't count. You're not pure enough. You're not good enough. You're not baptized enough to share communion with us. We will not share the body of Christ with you, you rotten, poorly baptized person. And there are thousands of those congregations in the United States today. And we wonder why the church is ineffectual and why it's dying. Because that church doesn't know Christ at all. I once did a wedding for a couple and I asked them, what do you want to do with your wedding ceremony? How do you want it to look? And they said, well, we want to do our vows here and we'd like to do this little ceremony here because it's a good testimony and we'd like to take communion in front of everyone. 
Okay, I agree that communion at a wedding is incredibly fitting because you are joining a family and taking a family into your family and and coming to identify as one family from two, right? And what do we say in communion except that by this sign and symbol, we testify that we all belong to the same family. All God's children, right? We are. And and the sign of our membership in God's family is, is the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. We are the Eucharist. We are the body of Christ. And so I said, oh, okay, we can do communion. Um, how do you want to pass it out? They said, oh, no, 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 no. Not for everybody, just for us. And I was a smart aleck young preacher, and I looked at him, I said, oh, you want to keep Jesus to yourself. Is that your testimony? And they looked at me in a little bit of befuddlement, and they said, no, no, we we want to share our testimony. I said, okay, do you want to share Jesus? They said, absolutely. I said, okay, then everybody gets communion. We're not going to hog Jesus between the two of us. And they started to laugh because they got what I was saying, finally. And... And they said, yes, can we work it out so that everyone can have communion? And so we got the little the little cups where the plastic over the top also holds the cracker. And we could pass them out to everybody. And then whether a person peeled them open or not was up to them. I could explain that this is a sign and symbol of our membership in God's family. And this couple not only wants to testify today, that God is making of the two of them one family, but they want to call you to be part of their family in Christ. It was beautiful. And then you get the chance to say, if you don't belong to Jesus right now, before you open those sacraments, before you open that cracker and that juice, before you partake, of the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. Let me give you the chance to say, I want to belong to Christ. I want to belong to God. We don't need a long drawn out prayer. We don't need a whole bunch of repeat after me's. We don't have to say a magical formula in order for it to be right. If the longing of your heart is, I want to belong to Christ, then open those sacraments with us and join the family. Friends, I am convinced that by our formulations and by our testimony cards and our turn in the sheet and tear off the paper and and raise your hand and walk the aisle and all the stuff that we have added to the gospel, we, we make it harder. We almost risk being with the Pharisees that Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you sons of snakes. You don't come to God yourself and you and you make it twice as hard for those who want to come. Oh my goodness, that scares me a little bit. We should be calling people to know Christ. That's all. To know him begin to participate in the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ personally, intimately, one-on-one, corporately, 
it's all it's all together, right? It's not just a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a corporate relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't see Jesus in our church, whatever church that is, if you can't come with me and sit in the pew and see Jesus in the people around me, tell me because I'm changing churches. This last Sunday at my own church, we had kind of a vision day. And the pastor recounted where God has taken our church in the last year and ultimately in the last two years. And I I sat there with tears running down my face as I looked around at the people. Now, bear in mind, I've only been part of this church for about three years. But I looked around and I, I know the people who've come in in the last two years. I can look around that sanctuary and see a third of them were not there two years ago. And most of that third wasn't even there a year ago. And I see the people who've been in that church since I first lived in this community 40 years ago. Good heavens, it's been 40 years ago that I first moved to this town. Now I was gone. I was only here for two years and then I was gone for 38, almost. But some of those people in that church were in that church 40 years ago, praying, sacrificing, giving, serving, working, cooking, cleaning, doing whatever it took to have a church. And I look around and and I see their faith being honored. I see their children in church. I see their grandchildren in church. Some folks there, I see their great-grandchildren in church. Singing praise to God. Sunday there was some little girl up in the front over on the far right, and she was singing at the top of her lungs. And everybody in the place was smiling, and, and everybody in the place was grateful that there's a church. It's come through floods and fires. Literally a year ago, the roof got torn off by a tornado. A church has been through a lot, but there it is. So that that little girl can stand in the front row and just sing her heart out. My prayer is that through what we do, she might know Christ, that she might see Christ in us, the adults of that church, her Sunday school teachers, her youth leaders, her children's minister, all the people that are there every Sunday, that 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 church might show her the person and the ministry and the spirit and the heart of Jesus. Paul says, the problem with my Jewish friends is that they do a lot of work, a lot of zealous work, but they lack knowledge. They know about God. They don't know him. And since they did not understand the righteousness of God and sought to work out their own, they never submitted to God's righteousness. Since they didn't know the righteousness of God, 
but instead sought to work out their own righteousness by works, by effort. They never submitted themselves to God's righteousness. They never surrendered to the righteousness of God. You see, he says, Christ on the cross, the crucified Christ, is not the abolishment of the law. He is the culmination of the law so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. Not for everyone. It's not universalism. It's for those who come by faith in God through Christ. My friends, if you can hear this today, I want you to turn this off at the end of the podcast and ask yourself, do I know him? Have I surrendered myself to the righteousness that comes to me by no work of my own, by no credit or deserving of my own? Do I know the righteousness that comes as the free gift of grace that forgives my sin, that cancels my debt, that makes it so the other shoe is never going to fall in my life and opens the way to heaven for me? Because if you know that grace, then sharing that grace is no problem because you'll do it selflessly. You won't do it for credit. You don't demand that everybody knows you go to that church over there. You'll just hand them what they need because that's what Jesus would do. Do, do you know him? That's the question. Today, do you know him?